Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast game plans, Thursday night, 9 o'clock. Um, if you're like me, you had to drink a little coffee before this one. I've been watching a, another ACC football game that's on ESPN at the moment. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples were sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Guys, I'll start with you, Greg. We talked about it earlier in the week with a pit beat writer. Um, I've said it before. It's a huge North Carolina game here. Matt Brown and his team have the opportunity to virtually wrap up the Coastal Division if they can handle business tomorrow night. Your overall thoughts as Carolina prepares for this game uh, coming off the, the bye week. So I guess it's been two weeks since they beat Duke. Yeah, well, we talked in the preseason that there was really going to be three teams good enough to win the Coastal. And that was going to be Pitt, that was going to be Miami, and North Carolina. Uh, Miami has fallen flat on his face. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> just say, uh, I, I'm surprised that uh, they have not been any better than, than they are. But, but Jason, I think, expected it maybe a little bit more than I did. Uh, and then – Pitt, uh, I think everybody thought uh, Keaton Slovis would be better than he is. And, not everybody. Uh, um, not that anybody expected him to be great. I mean, he wasn't going to come in as the second coming of Kenny Pickett. But he put up some pretty good numbers at USC. I know he struggled a bit last year. Uh, but him just being an average quarterback, I think Pitt would be in much better shape. But as it is, Pitt's one and two in the conference, in, in the Coastal. And as you say, Tommy, when you, when you start looking at the standings, uh, I mean, the Atlantic looks really good. And really outside of Carolina, the Coastal is just a disaster. And so, yeah, I don't think there's any question. Can can North Carolina slip up? Sure. But if, they, if they're able to beat Pitt, that moves them to 4-0 in the division. Uh, a couple games that they should be able to win uh, at Virginia, which I know Mac doesn't have a – a history of success up there. It's time. Uh, He's due. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Georgia Tech, you know, at Wake's going to be really tough. And then even though State is a disaster offensively, uh, that's going to be a grudge match the day after Thanksgiving, even though Carolina should win that one. Um, funny stat for you, Tommy. Uh, NC State 
with that field goal to close the first half, they've scored 41 points in their last 14 quarters. I think everybody remembers that App scored 40 in one quarter against Carolina. So uh, a tale of two different uh, teams for sure. It is. Uh, and I watched that at the end. You ice a good field goal kicker, he makes it. He kicks the ice and makes it. You ice him a second time, he kicks the ice and misses it. And then he, of course, makes it to go up 3 nothing. I was looking forward to the old Frank Beamer, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech meme. <laughs> zip, zip. Um, <laughs> we both did the same thing. <laughs> you know, I asked Mac in the press conference earlier this week, did he like six to three games or nine to three games? Uh, he might see one tonight if he happens to be watching. Uh, Jason, Carolina and Pittsburgh. Now, this is – here's the issue I have – leading up to this game. A lot of people saw uh, Pitt play uh, uh, Louisville. A lot of people saw Pitt play Georgia Tech. It seems like a lot of people have also forgotten that they should have beaten Tennessee. I mean, they, if my memory serves, they missed the field goal in that game and it went to overtime, and they did so with a, with a backup quarterback in the second half. Is this Pitt team better than we are giving them credit for going into this game? Yes. Do tell. Explain other. Explain it deeper than oh, they can run the football. I mean, this is a good ball club. Well, the thing is, any team that can play really good defense, like they're able to, and they're they're. they're I mean, they're still pit up front. They're they're pretty good on defense, and and that's you look at that Tennessee game. You know, they they held Tennessee to let's let's take a look at the numbers here in terms of you know rushing and passing. In terms of what they did to Tennessee, Tennessee averaged 2.6 yards per, per carry in that game. That that's that's pretty good, especially considering against Alabama, Tennessee averaged 4.67 yards per carry. Like that's that's pretty that's pretty good defense there. And then offensively. Uh, or in the passing game, Pittsburgh held them to what seven point seven yards per attempt and two touchdowns in the passing game. Alabama gave up twelve point four yards per, per play in the passing game and five scores. So I mean, those are the, you know, of course this is a little bit different, you know, place in the year in terms of of uh, you know. Tennessee figuring things out early in the year, I suppose. And, you know, transitive property can be deceptive, but that tells you that this team can play defense. They, they've been pretty good defensively all season. They haven't, they haven't given up a bunch of points. You look at their, at their losses. They lost to Tennessee in overtime. Tennessee scored 34 points, right? That's under 30 points in regulation. That's a good, good Tennessee offense. They lost to Georgia Tech, and they gave up 26 points. They lost to Louisville. They gave up 24 points. So in their losses, their defense has still been pretty spicy. I mean, in today's game, if you give up below 30 points, your defense has done pretty well. And, you know, Louisville's good offense. Louisville's pretty good offensively. And Georgia Tech, not so good. But they gave up 26 points. In that one, so that was again an offensive failure, and Tennessee's really good on offense. And to give up under thirty to that bunch in regulation, 
is is awfully good. So that's the thing. They're really good on defense. And then they, they've got a running back who, when he gets hot, is as good as anybody in the country. So, you know, play good defense and run the football has been a pretty good recipe for overall success for a long time. And this is a team that's been able to do that this year, at least in a number of their games. They've not been quite as consistent offensively as they'd like to be, but their defense is going to keep them in games. Greg, that being said, I heard something. I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. They sort of compared Pitt coming into this one like Notre Dame coming into the Carolina game earlier in the year. Struggling on offense, fairly decent defense. Carolina had some success on offense against Notre Dame. Um, looking at Pitt's defense and how they're able to slow people down, you know, Drake May's a little bit different animal. Um you know, let's just get straight into the game plan. And, and folks listening to this, I'll tack on the Jerry DePaula interview on the backside of this audio. If you didn't hear it on the next level, on next level with Greg and I on Wednesday via the YouTube channel. Uh, but Carolina's got to attack this pit defense and force that Piz offense to have to do something. What's Carolina do differently than they've done all year if they do anything differently? Or is it just more of the same, more Phil Longo, more of the same going at this pit defense? I mean, it's more of the same. Uh, I think Pat Narduzzi does what he wants to do. Um, he, he's very consistent and has done it for a very long time, dating back to his time at Michigan State. He's going to run quarters. He's going to get after you, the defensive front, and he's going to try to get to you before you can get rid of the ball. Uh, Phil Longo, as we know, has is, is got the air raid system in place. He's going to take what the defense gives him. Um you know, against a defense as solid as Pitt is. Yeah, it's not quite at the level of Notre Dame, but it's probably the second best defense that Carolina's played. Carolina hadn't played many good defenses thus far. And part of that's because they had they've had to play Carolina, and that skews the numbers a little bit. Uh, but they really haven't played any high level defense. And so that's that's made it a little bit easier on Drake. That'll be a little bit different on on Saturday. Um, I, I think what we've seen over the years is uh, Narduzzi, he's going to take, he's going to roll the dice and he's going to take the chance of, yeah, you may hit a couple big plays down the field, but I'm going to get enough negative plays where I'm, I'm going to be able to get you off the field enough uh, to get the ball back into the offense's hand and maybe get some turnovers. Um, if, if you look, I think last year was kind of a good example. North Carolina, of course, lost uh, there at the end. They should have won that game. Uh, but Sam Howell uh, was sacked six times in that game. And uh, looking at the numbers here, Pittsburgh put him under pressure only on 13 of 43 dropbacks. So the offensive line did a really good job. Sam was sacked six times, uh, but he still completed five of seven passes for 130 and two touchdowns along with an interception. But Narduzzi's looking at it saying, okay, well, if I can get six sacks and an interception and 13 dropbacks where I'm able to get him under pressure, that's pretty good. Now, what do we know about Sam Howell? Sam Howell was a gunslinger, right? He, he held on to the ball much longer than he needed to. And against this type of defense, that can get you into trouble. And we saw that during Sam's uh, you know, career a little bit. Drake's a different animal. And, and Drake has showed a, a, an ability to get rid of the ball quicker. He showed an ability to, to spread the ball around more. Uh, and so I think this, there's an opportunity here. Yeah, Carolina's going to take some shots down the field. I mean, that, Drake has proven he can do it. You know, that's that's kind of a game changer if you can hit a few of those 
um, a few of those big plays down the field. But it's also an opportunity where when you know that that defensive line is trying to get after you, especially if you're, you're behind the chains, there's a lot of opportunities over the middle, some of those quick outs, some of those slants, just to get rid of the ball, pick up a few yards. And as long as you're ahead of the chains, uh, you have to feel pretty good about your ability to keep the ball, keep pressure off of Drake, uh, and be able to use that running game a little bit. Jason, what's, what's, the, what's the honeypot in this game for Carolina? And, and are those – is Drake May's ability to get rid of the ball um, on time and, and quicker, is that the biggest difference between him and Sam Howell, at least facing a defense like this? Does it make it a lot easier for Drake – um, in a situation like this where Pitt's defense is going to do, like Greg said, um, they're going to do what they do, and you've said it before, uh, is Drake May's ability to process quickly and get it out the difference in this one? Muted. Mr. Doctor's muted. I love being able to say that. Some of the uh, – yeah, I think that's one of the one of the biggest differences there. Um, I think it is the biggest difference between him and, and Sam in terms of what they bring to the table. I mean, Sam was a great deep ball thrower. I mean, that was that was his big plus trait is he was excellent to elite as a deep ball thrower. But that also is something that if you lean on it too much, you hang hang on to the hang on to the football a little too long waiting on it. Uh, you know, I don't think May is quite as good a deep ball thrower as Sam was. He's a good deep ball thrower. Actually, he's a very good deep ball thrower. Maybe not elite yet at this point in his, in his career. I think he can get there. But in terms of how much more quickly he he uh, makes decisions and gets the ball out, that makes the biggest difference. I mean, you notice just watching the offense. The offense with Drake May rarely looks like anything comes all that difficult, all that all that hard. Like the, things tend to look like they're coming pretty easily for them, and a large part of that is just a quarterback getting the ball out to the right guy. And <laughs> things look real easy when that happens, when you get the ball out to the right guy on time and put it on location, offensive football looks pretty easy. Uh, and that's why he can make it look easy at times. So the thing is the, the couple teams that have really been able to quicken his decision-making process a little bit, there have been, what, three teams this year been able to kind of quicken his decision-making process a little bit with some pressure. And in those games, those have been the games that have, you know, he's not been entirely dominant, right? Notre Dame, they, they got some pressure on him a little bit. And he, he, did, he did a lot of great things, but again, not quite like what he did to, say, App State. Um, Miami got some pressure on him, got a couple turnovers out of it. Uh, one of which, you know, his arm got hit and, you know, ball just fluttered as a result. Duke got some pressure on him last week and that led to some to a, to some lulls in the middle of the game that, that nearly cost him. So, yeah, I think that's the that's the the thing that separates him and distinguishes him. But they've also he's also got to they've also got to protect him and be able to run the ball enough that he can still do what he does best. So. Getting it out quickly makes things look a lot easier, but if you're under pressure, you're still under pressure. So, yeah, I think that's that's the big thing. That's that's what I'm looking at here. And, and by the way, for what it's worth, I think Pitt's defense has been a little better on the year than Notre Dame's defense has been. I mean, they're they're better in yards per play, for for example. 
than Notre Dame's defense has been. So, um, you know, I think that kind of puts it kind of tells you what tier they're in. They're closer to say Miami or Notre Dame defensively than than to anybody else on on North Carolina's schedule. And you look at those two games, and North Carolina scored thirty two and twenty seven in those games. So you know, every other game basically, Carolina scored over 35. I mean, the lo- next lowest scoring game on, on the year uh, was what 35 at Georgia state and then 38 at Duke, you know, they've been able to score points across the board, but Miami was a harder, it was tougher sledding and Notre Dame was definitely tougher sledding because again, those defensive lines gave the offensive line some trouble and they were able to get some pressure on may and, and quicken that decision-making process even a little bit more. That's the concern coming into this. So, yeah. Let's talk about Walter. Let's see if I can throw a comment up. And Greg, I'll let you come in on it. And also in the chat, a lot of people asking for some stats, Greg. So get them ready. Well, here's a couple since Jason just kind of talked a little bit in depth about Pitt's defense. Uh, Pitt is uh, top 50 in the country, and there's a lot of teams that have already played eight games. Pitt's already played seven in tackles for loss, and they're 21st in sacks. Uh, so, so we talked a lot during the Jay Bateman years. He was very much a, a fan of, you know, if you're able to get a sack or a, a negative play, that ramps up your your percentage of getting off the field dramatically. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, it's pretty significant if you just have, you know, one tackle for loss, one sack, uh, and, and Pitt does that. They'll get after you and they'll, they'll try to do that. So um, I, I think patience is a big part of this as well, Tommy where you have to understand there's going to be some possessions where it doesn't go well for you. And whether that's you going backwards, whether that's a three and out, uh, just don't make any stupid decisions and understand that you do have a good offense. Uh, don't, don't push it too much. Take your medicine, punt the ball away, uh, and try to get them back on, on the next down. Yeah, I agree with about the stupid decisions. I mean, if, as long as every drive ends in a kick. You're doing all right, um, and you could still be down just three nothing potentially if you were playing in Raleigh tonight. As long as you kick it every time, one way or another. Let, let me pull this quote up here by Walter Holt, and let's see how this is going to do. All right, someone who deserves a ton of credits, Jack McNeil, in his first year at offensive line, is taking steps forward, particularly in pass blocking, allowing May to ball and elevate William Barnes. Greg, agree or disagree with that? I, I mean. I think the results that we're seeing are significantly better sack yardage and all that. But I think it's it's more than just the offensive line. But speak to what Big Nail's been able to do this year. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things here. I'm gonna let Jason dive into the, the technical part of what Big Nail's changed. Um, but we've talked so much the last couple of years about Sam Howe and Michael Carter and Javante Williams, uh, Ty Chandler, and even some of the wide receivers. There are so many different parts of an offense that make a unit look good or bad, and it's not just that particular unit, right? So when the running backs are special, like Javante Williams was and Michael Carter was, and you got a really good wide receiver and you've got an uber-talented quarterback, the offensive line can be mediocre to average, but there's enough production there where the offense still thrives. Um, and then you have a year like this year where we know Drake Mays is very good. Uh, you know, he, I, I'm not expecting him to be in New York, but I mean, I, his name's going to be all about the Heisman next year. He should be in New York. 
He may be. We'll see how things end up. He won't be, but he should be. Um, Team wins. Well, I mean, they, they keep winning. But yeah, running back wise, this group has a ways to go. And this this group, uh, <clears throat> they've got some talent, young talent. But this is not the running back room that we've seen the last couple of years in Chapel Hill. Uh, tight ends are good. Uh, you know, wide receivers have done pretty well, but I think a lot of that is, is Drake beyond Antoine and, and Josh. Uh, but even though you maybe don't have the, the amount of skill at some of these positions, because the offensive line has played better, uh, that's why this offense is still strumming along. So I would like Jason's take on, on what has changed under Bicknell and what he's doing differently that's allowed the unit to play a little bit more cohesively and, as the, as the uh, viewer there mentioned, allowed some guys like a William Barnes to really take that step forward. Yeah, we've talked a lot over the years. When's he going to come along? When's he going to come along? Yeah, he's a senior now. But I think a lot of that, too, is he, he's got a coach. He's really pushing the right buttons. Yeah, I, I think the actually the, the player that I've seen the biggest shift in up front is the same Richards that that guy's playing really good football here I mean I feel like Bicknell has kind of unlocked him yeah actually that's a good word it actually just came up on the screen Luke Walker there unlocked something in uh Asim Richards yeah that's exactly right that's the right word that he has managed to to uh really get Richards to understand the position and the footwork of it and to be much more consistent with his with his fundamentals with his hand placement with his footwork even down to stance and that's the thing for me is watching the offensive line y'all knew y'all know from the last couple of years how frustrated i was watching just certain fundamentals where i've just kept harping on like guys like this is high school stuff like this fundamental you can't you can't have a stance like this you can't have a second step that looks like this, you know, you can't have a, you know, a kick, a, a, a kick set in, you know, pass protection that looks like this. You can't just turn your shoulders in pass protection from the, from the, the tackle position, you know, in pass protection and just give guys a soft shoulder. There's so much that on those, those fronts that I feel like Bicknell has, just been more detail oriented in terms of requiring that guys do things correctly on some of those things. And you're seeing just more consistency in, uh, in the fundamentals on that. Now it's not perfect. There's still those frustrating moments and times, but they're a lot more consistent. Uh, I do think also, you know, you've got to, you've got to think about they're just in terms of the overall cohesion of the group. Last year, center was a was a turnstile because not only did you not have quite as good a, a center, you know, Gainer's a better center than they've had in, in a while, but they were so banged up at center last year on top of that. I mean, those guys were, you know, playing at like 60%. So that also is a factor in them being better because they've been, they're, they're not having to compensate for that on the interior, uh, which is a factor as well. Uh, and then the final thing, I think they've done a much better job of handling twists and stunts and things like that, that involve the quick communication that you have to have on the, uh, on, on, on the offensive line. They, they've not been perfect with it. There've been some moments, but just overall, they've done a lot better on that 
as a whole. And, and so, yeah, I think Bicknell deserves a lot of credit for a lot of those things. Let, let me ask you, and somebody mentioned Corey Gaynor's um, being there has solidified that and given him some cohesion there. And he's, he's the old guy out there. And it's always good to have a guy that's been around forever. But Jason, let me stay with you on that part. You mentioned the twist and all this Pittsburgh. And I admit, I don't watch it as detailed as you, but it is, does Pittsburgh use a lot of that stuff? Um, twist, you know, all those fancy things, uh, that eye candy against offensive lines, or do they just straight up beat their man one-on-one? How, how will Pittsburgh attack Carolina's line, and will Carolina be able to handle it, in your opinion? Well, they did it a lot last year because they knew North Carolina wasn't any good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those things where if you were a defensive coordinator the last couple of years – you know, even if you tended not to call a bunch of twists or a lot of stunts up front, you'd see North Carolina on the schedule. You'd pop that tape in and you go, well, looks like this week we better install a couple stunts, a couple twists in here because you know, it was almost automatic pressure last year when teams did it. So, and, and you go back and you watch last year's game and they did it last year a number of times. But, you know, they're, they're a one-gap, very aggressive scheme on the defensive line. In a lot of ways, they are on the defensive line, a lot of what Gene Chizik has traditionally liked to do with his front four is just turn those guys loose in one gap and just see how quickly they can, you know, beat a guy into the gap and and get upfield and and wreak havoc and allow the linebackers to just clean up whatever mess those guys create up front. That's what they do. Uh, And they do a good job of that. And normally against teams that are not, you know, struggling to pick up stunts and twists, they're not going to do it as much as like Wake Forest's, typically has done it, you know, some of those teams, but they'll, again, they'll do it. If you start to show signs that you're struggling to pick it up, they'll definitely do it. And they'll bring some, some looks like that. It's not their default because they've got such good talent at the ends and, and, you know, they, they get upfield really well and, and they, they run sort of their base, just get in, get in your proper gap track and hit it. Uh, they they do that really well and really aggressively, and they coach that well, and they play hard there. That's their bread and butter. But you know, as any pressure defense, they'll they'll mix in some of that other that other stuff. Seems like in years past, Greg Carolina, and we can talk about this before we flip it after the break. I mean, Carolina's had success deep against Pittsburgh, having time to throw and all that. Uh, one thing we did not talk about with Jerry DePaula is Pitt's secondary. Uh, you know, I know they've got some players back there. A lot of people got used to seeing Carolina just being able to throw over the top to to get, you know, point, easy points against Pitt. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Drake May a couple weeks ago about his passing statistics downfield. Um, you got those at hand. There are any updated ones on that? I mean, it seems I've got like, them right here. Let's talk about that a little bit and how that plays into this game on Saturday night. I mean – there was a couple times when Antoine Green had he was wide open for a touchdown. He still made the catch, but it ended up being tackled. Greg, is that going to be a key against Pitt, like it has always been, seemingly for Carolina over the years? Yeah, I mean for sure. Um, you know, I think the I think when you look at kind of what Pitt has on the back end, um, they've got a, a guy that's that's probably going to be All ACC uh, at safety and Eric Hallett, a veteran safety. They got a lot of experienced guys back there. Um, Brandon Hill has played a lot. Uh, Marquise Williams is a veteran guy that's played a lot at cornerback. Um, and 
I think what I really think what uh, Pat Narduzzi has done so well with his secondary is that they've really kind of uh, accepted the fact that, hey, we're going to be on islands a lot of times. Uh, we're going to be getting beat occasionally. And they just move on to the next play, which is what you have to be when you're in this kind of defense. Um, and because that defensive front is so solid, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous the amount of talent they have up there with Baudinato and Danielson and Cansey and Alexander and John Morgan, all veteran guys. A lot of those guys are going to get a, a sniff at the NFL. Um, and as we've talked a lot about with Carolina, uh, you know, it doesn't help Tony Grimes and Storm Duck when the, the front four is not getting the amount of pressure that uh, would be very beneficial. And so that, that pit secondary has benefited from that. But again, as you mentioned, Pitt is going to come after Carolina and try to prevent any of those deep shots. And what Carolina has done well over the years, and we know Fedora did it quite a bit, but you just have some shot plays in there where you're going to max protect, you're going to have two tight ends in, or you're going to have the run running back stay with the tight end so you can block seven and try to buy just enough time so a couple wide receivers can get down the field. Um, and that's, that's just kind of a game changer because if you can score – or get, at least get big chunk plays on a few of those. That changes the whole course of the, uh, the course of the game, the rhythm of of what you're wanting to do offensively. So, uh, Carolina is certainly going to try to take advantage of that. And it just depends if if Drake is able to have just enough time, and if he's able to put good throws on those balls and the wide receivers make plays. If all those things happen, uh, then I think Carolina wins and maybe wins handily. But Pitt's going to do everything it can to prevent that from happening. Jason, you said you had the numbers at your fingertips. Why, when you're talking about the numbers, answer me this as well. Is is the player of the game receiving-wise going to be Antoine Green or a tight end, in your opinion, when you're talking about these numbers? To me, it's Green. Yeah, I, I think Green is one of the probably three most important players in this game in terms of the offense. He, he's got to have himself a day for Carolina's offense to to be what they want it to be in this, in this game, uh, because, because of some of the stuff that, that they like to do in terms of press and how, how, how much availability there is for some deep shots. If a guy can actually win one-on-one and if Antoine green can win a few matchups one-on-one down the field, that changes his game, especially if he can win, you know, off the line of scrimmage and, and get some space early where, May can can get the ball out quickly like you want, you know, where he's not waiting to throw the ball downfield deep, but he's hitting the back of the drop and just letting it fly. That's when you can really put up numbers against this kind of defense. And not a whole lot of team, not a whole lot of people have been able to do that to them so far this year. I mean, again, you the the numbers that I had with Tennessee that I that I quoted earlier in the in in the in the show. Look, look at what Tennessee did to Alabama coverage-wise downfield. I mean, they they torched those guys on deep throws. And those guys were not wide open. They were not running free. They were not just running away from Pitt. So you got to be conscious of that. This is not a secondary that you feel like you can just, you know, okay, line up and make sure you protect the quarterback and your guy can, you know, run by their guy in single coverage. They're going to, they're going to, you know, do what they can to, they're, they're pretty good at holding those guys down. So if, if Antoine Green has the day that I think he might, then I think he's going to – you're going to start hearing some NFL talk about his stock going up because this is a game where – this is a money game for him. But I, I think he's going to be a really important player in this game. As far as those numbers for uh, 
Drake May uh, that, that that we're being asked about. He's still number one in the country in big time throw percentage on on throws down the field beyond 20 yards. He's at 45.5 percent of big time throws on those plays. So, you know, those are those are throws that are above and beyond what's expected on, you know, whatever type of throw you're talking about. And so, I mean, that's that's really, really good. I mean, that's that's very good. I mean, if you're looking at comparing him to other players in college, I mean, it's elite. Bryce Young, 37.1%. <laughs> right? I mean, he, he's pretty good. You know, last year's Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, you know, DJ Uyunglele from, from Clemson is, what, number seven at 33.3. Uh, you, you've got some good names on that list, but... You know, he's he's leading that list for a reason. And um, what, still 25 of 43 for 58% completion percentage on those throws. But he has taken a little bit of a dip because he's now got three interceptions on those throws. Nine touchdowns, three interceptions. So it's a little bit down from what it was earlier in the year. So in terms of the numbers, definitely elite there as a 20-plus yards down the field thrower. Uh, and you can definitely talk about him as already being there. For me, the difference between him and, and Howell as a true deep ball thrower, Howell was elite in what are, what are called bucket throws. So him in the bucket. Yeah, it's where you're throwing not just 20 yards downfield, but, you know, 35 yards, 40 yards downfield, and you're just kind of letting it go and letting your guy run under it and trying to throw it to that outside shoulder and locate that to hit a guy in stride or in the place where only he can catch it. And Howell was really – he was truly elite on those throws. And – May really May's strength on the 20, 20 yards downfield kind of throw is a lot of those, you know, skinny posts, uh, you know, a lot of the sorts of things that are 20 yard throws, uh, you know, hitting the whole shot on the, on the cover two, you know, those sorts of things. That's where he's really elite. But in terms of comparing bucket throws on some true takeoffs and the deep post route, he's missed some of those that Howell probably doesn't. And, uh, you know, that's that's really a play. I mean, you can think about like the one that he missed on the on the deep post or kind of the post coming across the field. He just put one in the dirt last week where it was one of those that every so often, just because of mechanics or something else, he'll have a miss. So he's capable of being that. That's again, we've talked about this. The scary thing about Drake May is he still can get a lot better. <laughs> I mean, the guy is that good. And there's still a lot of ceiling that he hasn't even touched. So, you know, when he cleans certain things up, the guy can be that much better. Um, but yeah, those are, those are filthy numbers. I mean, just filthy numbers. I don't know what the last couple of years, I mean, take a look at what last year's leader was in that number. Um, let's see in terms of, it's still populating in terms of the actual uh, big time throw percentage last year. Top in the nation was Malik Willis at 44%. So he's currently at 45. And he's currently at 45. So, I mean, and Bryce Young was at 38 last year. Just He's about 37 and a half this year. So pretty consistent there. That's, you know, again, that's those are filthy, filthy numbers. C.J. Stroud, if you're interested there, another guy that, you know, is regularly talked about in the Heisman race, 31.3. So, I mean, those, he's got guys running free all over the place. Yeah, and those are absurd numbers. Um yeah. Yeah. So 
Pat Narduzzi is well aware of, of those stats. Um, he's also well aware of when you look at uh, passing pressure. Drake May is is elite when he's kept clean, completing 78% of his passes, adjusted completion percentage of 84%. <laughs> just silly. Um 1,700 yards, uh, 10.4 yards per attempt. Under pressure, he's not been bad. He's, he's been solid. He's better than most. Uh, but he's still completing 49% of his passes. Uh, and give him credit, he does have nine touchdowns against an interception. But that's a pretty, pretty sharp decline if you're able to put him under pressure. That's the only way, really, you can slow him down. And uh, PFF's got him with 18 sacks. So there's a, a sack in there they added that I don't think the official record books has for one reason or another. Um, but Narduzzi's looking at that, and that's one of the reasons why whoever the backup linebacker was that said earlier this week, they're going to hit him, they're going to hit him hard. They're going to hit him often. Uh, yeah, if he didn't get will. back up. Yeah. Uh, if he didn't get back up, that's, that's not their problem. I mean, we've heard that over the years from NC State. I mean, they said it before the – Marquise William game years ago and, and Marquise didn't come back to that game. So uh, that's your game plan. Put pressure on Drake, hit him, hit him often, try to you know, at least get him thinking uh, about pressure coming, even if it's not. And that's, I think that's the, the, the key to the game plan for Pittsburgh and trying to slow down this Carolina offense. Yeah, we've, we've talked about that. We haven't even mentioned Josh Downs, and I'm not going to get into a Josh Downs discussion because we don't need to because we know what he brings. I think something that C.L. Brown um, in, in one of the in the media sessions earlier this week was talking about is who benefits most, Antoine Green or Josh Downs, from each other's um, play on the other side. I think that is – this is a game where we might see them both benefit um, Would they both bring – I don't know if the tight ends will be as big in this game. We'll see. Uh, they may. Um, but may, as in Drake, will be the biggest player in the game, I think, offensively. And, and Jason, I feel you on the Antoine Green pick about being the guy. And so but we got we got bigger fish to talk about after the break. Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Mm. Sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina and Jason Staples, best place to shop for Carolina gear. They don't sell the mason jars that Jason likes to drink out of, but they do sell everything else. And hell, they might they might sell mason jars. I don't know with some Carolina logos because anything you need, you can get from Johnny T-shirt, sweatshirts, jerseys, T-shirts, hats, blankets, whatever you need. Go see them at East Franklin Street. Go see them online if you can't get down there. Great friends, uh, like I said, of Inside Carolina. And they're Carolina folks. If you want to support Carolina alumni, do it at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. National guys pay the bills as well. This is Game Plan, Pitt, Carolina, Saturday night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, boys, it's 939. Score check. I think Virginia Tech's up 7-3 to three on NC State, even though my stream's like way behind um, everybody else's, so people are spoiling stuff in the chat. Let's talk about Carolina's defense. And, Greg, I'll start here with you first because I think this – Carolina has played some football games that put people in cardiac states that are not really helpful, healthy for the fan base. What do you think about how Carolina's defensive approach here? We talked about it earlier this week. Gene Chizik's going to do what he does. People in the chat are saying, did they put more defensive linemen in? What's going on there? How does Carolina approach it? Because they cannot let Izzy run wild. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, more than any other game, I think I think this is this is pretty simple in terms of what you're trying to do. You want Keen <laughs> Slovis to beat you. Um, if if you, Tommy, we've talked about it. If Izzy uh, runs wild, and he's why Pitt wins, that's 100% on the coaching staff. You can't have it happen. And whether that's run blitz, whether that's stacking the box, you however you want to set it up. You need to make sure you limit what he can do. Um, he can get on the edge a little bit. He does the bulk of his damage between the tackles. Big, strong, powerful guy. I mean, when you look at kind of some of the, his numbers, uh, he's got 32 broken tackles on the year, 440 yards after contact, uh, averaging 6.1 yards per carry, 13 touchdowns. He's right at 1,000 yards. He'll, he'll have 1,000 yards by halftime, I imagine. So just a, a he's really turned into a phenomenal back. He he looks like he'll be a good, pretty good NFL guy too. Uh, they are banged up a little bit along the offensive line, so I think you can have some success there. And again, uh, I, I think the ability to to put Pitt behind the chains, so they have some you know, second long, third long opportunities where Keaton Slovis has to make some plays. I think that's critical for North Carolina to have success. Uh, Pitt's a pretty good offense; they're not great. Uh, certainly not as good as their defense, but they've been okay because of the running game. And that takes a little bit of pressure off of Slovis. But when they've been bottled up a little bit, Louisville did a good job and get some pressure on Slovis. Uh, we could talk about his pressure numbers in a, in a minute, but uh, they ain't good. They're not Drake May uh, by any stretch. So, yeah, pretty simple. You got to make Keenan Slovis beat you. I think I'm about to see the touchdown pass everybody's talking about. Virginia Tech just got another false start. First and 15 from the 15-yard line. I can't stand streaming. That's why I can't cut the cord yet. I mean, between Twitter and this stuff, I, I'm so far behind, and there's the bomb. Jason, that looks like what Carolina will need to do against Pitt on <laughs> Saturday night. Uh, defending Pitt. I mean, you got to make Slovis beat you, like Greg says. 
but it's not that easy, is it? Especially if if you're not going to stop the running game, which they haven't all year. It's it's. I mean, it's real simple. <laughs> what you're DC right now? We just hired you as defensive coordinator, analyst, uh, consultant. What are you doing in this game? <laughs> well, I've spent the. You, you're hiring me the, the the night. What two nights before the game? Two nights before the game. You've been uh, you've been a Madden and college football two K. All American, man. I, I'm not liking taking taking over two night two nights before the game. I'll tell you that because <laughs> give me give me the bye week, and I'll have spent the entire the entire bye week working on my defensive lines, uh, run fit fundamentals and uh, and and pad level and second step to make sure that they're that they're fitting that fitting those gaps correctly so that I can just turn my big guys loose and cause some problems that's what i'm doing uh this is a game where i'm playing probably a lot of cover seven type stuff like they've done in certain games uh which is again it's a a man match quarters type type look where you're you're letting your corners play one-on-one on on the outside if they're going to take vertical releases the corners are going to play one-on-one and then basically unless there's a vertical threat the safeties are able to come down and, and fit the run because I've got to get my safeties involved in the running game. And I want them down there. Anytime a run run plays coming to their side, I want them coming down. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of that. And I'm doing a lot of uh, rotate out of that when you feel like they're, you know, they, they may have something dialed up specifically for that. Look, you rotate out of that into a robber look so that you're, you know, going single, single high deep safety. And again, bringing a safety down, so that you've got an additional guy in the box as much as possible. I want that extra guy. And I want, you know, I want my plus one in the running game as much as possible. Slovis is not a runner, which is helpful. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm okay. If, if they have two or three deep shots that connect, even one or two for a touchdown, I'm okay with that as long as Abanacanda doesn't go off. The way I lose this game is if a Banacando goes nuts. And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm selling out to try to ensure that I get, that I I force him off of that, those cutback lanes that he likes and that I don't give him clear shots into the, into the, uh, into the backers. The more you can kind of make him deal with trash in the backfield and at the line of scrimmage, the better it's, I mean, it's super simple. And you look at you look at their games. I mean, the games that they've won and lost, it's been a pretty consistent theme. Against West against West Virginia is the only game that they didn't really run it well that they've won. In all of the other games, you know, Georgia Tech, when they got beat, they had 31 carries for 106 yards. That's 3.42 yards a carry. Against Virginia Tech. They gave up 29 points. That's a bad Virginia Tech offense. It's the one bad outing they had defensively. But it didn't matter because they scored 45 because Abanacanda had over 300, what, over 300 yards rushing. I'm looking at the team stats here. 43 carries for 326 yards. Yeah, that's crazy. They averaged almost eight yards a carry. What, 7.58 yards a carry? And then back to earth with Louisville, they averaged 4.5 yards a carry there and got beat. So to me, you've just got to sell out to ensure that that guy is not running free in your secondary. 
And, you know, the, the thing that makes him special is his acceleration when he gets into that second level. You, you just don't want him getting there. So you've got to find ways to to stack that and ensure that your defensive line and your edges. This is a game where I think the edge guys are really important. This is, you know, Des Evans, have yourself a day in this game. And I'm wanting to really emphasize I'm okay with my edge guys not having a sack and having maybe a little, le- little less pressure in this game. Because I really want Des Evans and Rucker and uh, Noah Noah Taylor. Those guys have to be really solid on the edge. Work on setting the edge there. And that's an emphasis, again, for the last two weeks. Have those guys really do a great job of setting the edge so that, again, a Banacanda is not able to cut back against the grain, against an overflowing edge nor is he able to just get to the edge if they, you know, they like to run some outside zone type stuff, nor is he able to get to the edge because you've got your, your edge that's set. The more that's the case and the more you can kind of force him to deal with your D tackles and all that, the happier you're going to be. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, he can fly. I was watching some highlights of him and I swear I listened to everything in time and a half speed. I thought I had it on time and a half speed on YouTube and I did not. Uh, he can go once he gets in the open. So, Greg, uh, a lot of people talk about Travis Shaw, Kevin Hester, Rava Hasek will be missed. I mean, who has to be big in this game aside from the edge guys? You know, I think I think missed tackles might tell a tale here because if Carolina has a lot of them, especially in the gaps in the middle of the field, then Abanacana is going to have 250 pretty easily. Yeah, I really think it's uh... – it's a situation where you've got to have good linebacker play. And as Jason said, you're probably going to see the the star come up and play a lot in run support. And those guys just have to be very gap sound. They have to make their tackles uh, because once he gets into the second level, it's a problem. And so it's going to be key for those guys, Power and Cedric, uh, DeAndre Boykins, to really be able to make some plays. Uh, two things I want to note here. Jason was talking about the Louisville game. I mean, you have to remember Louisville basically took the ball out of Slovis's hand there at the end, and they scored a touchdown, which turned a seven-point game into the final margin. Uh, and Abenakanda was good enough in that game, but you look at what Slovis did. I mean, he averaged 5.4 yards per attempt, no touchdowns and two picks, in addition to the, uh, the Statue of Liberty handoff to Louisville for the game-winning <laughs> score. Um, so just – just terrible. Uh, and I, I think the other the other aspect, too, is Jason hit on something very important. And I think it's very difficult for, for coaches who have had success for a long time to go against their tendencies, and for good reason. Roy Williams is the greatest example for North Carolina. Uh, he was going to do what he was going to do, and he had a ton of success for it. But there's no question that there were a number of games – where if he had been willing to make a few minor changes, it would have helped out. Uh, But because his level of success was so much, it's kind of hard to fault him. And I wonder if Gene is going to be able to say, you know what, if we get beat deep a couple times, it's okay. Uh, Because that's just not how he operates. He does not want a catastrophic play. He doesn't, he's willing to give you as many 10-plus-yard plays as you want as long as it's not 20-plus yards. And the stats back that up. Carolina has given up a god-awful number of 10-plus-yard plays 
But once you get back to 20-plus and 30-plus, they're really good, especially in the ACC. Um, but this really is one of those games where if you're determined to take away the run, you can't have the Miami game happen. You can't have the Virginia game last year happen where you do such a strong job uh, taking away the run that you, you really kind of expose yourself um, because you're not doing a good job being sound on the back end, not because of scheme, just because guys are making mistakes. So you have to scheme appropriately, be willing to take some risk, but those guys have got to play well enough that when they're on islands, that yeah, they may get burned a couple times, but it's, it's not to the point where you've got to protect them every single play because uh, you know, Pitt will take five yards every single down. That gets to the other point, and I'll shut up after this, Tommy. Pitt is top 10 in the country in time of possession. Um, what we saw against Duke, what we saw against Miami, Pat Narduzzi wants to take the ball and run and hide if he can. That keeps his defense fresh. They're really good. He can kind of control the game old school. Time of possession is not a big deal. Really, there's no correlation. Uh, Jason doesn't need to give us his, his uh, doctoral thesis on that. We, we've heard it enough and it's accurate. <laughs> um, but, it, but it really is a situation where if, if Pitt's able to have success early and maybe get a lead, I mean, they're going to take the air out of the ball. Uh, and they, that also takes the ball out of Keaton Slovis' hands to some extent. So this, this is another game where if Carolina can, can hit on some of those shot plays early, have some success early, that really changes what Pat Narduzzi wants to do. And that's, that's what this game is about. You, you've got to set yourself up to put the other team out of the position they want to be in, get them out of rhythm, make them uncomfortable. Uh, and I think that's how Carolina wins the game. If Slovis beats you, tip your hat and say, well, that was just another quarterback that had a Heisman day. But if Abanaconda beats you, um, then you did not, uh, you did not do what you needed to do to win that game. It, it's going to be a shootout. I have a feeling um, it's going to be close. Uh, let's get into the predictions. I mean, we can talk all night about uh, different guys. A lot. Somebody asked, are they going to put Duck and Grimes on islands and let everybody else play the run? There'll be some versions of that, but we're going to wrap it up. We try to wrap these up in about an hour because I've got the Jerry DePaula interview that you guys can listen to on the audio version. Jason, I'll let you be the first. Um, detail exactly what you expect to see happen with a prediction at the end of it here on the game plan. Yeah, so this is this is a dangerous game. I mean, uh, Mac Brown's record coming out of bye weeks has actually not been all that great of late. And um, by you know, great, is, by not great, you mean zero and five? Yeah, zero and five. That's you know not good, Bob. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, this is this is the next couple of weeks are an opportunity. Next few weeks are an opportunity to, to uh, kind of uh, exercise the demons, as as it were. And this is this is an important one in that respect. What for me this comes down to really is the the most concerning thing is that you've got a team that has made its hay with big plays in the running game against a defense that has been really not not great against stopping the run. Uh, but I think again the benefit that you have here, I don't think that there's a that there's a receiver for for uh, 
for Pitt that really scares you? I mean, they they can make a few plays, but you're okay with that. There's enough of a lack of balance there, I think, in terms of how their offense has been this year that I think if Carolina just decides to sell out against the run like they have uh, a couple times this year, that they'll have decent enough results. And and so that's kind of what I'm expecting. I mean, I look, I, I think defensively for this, uh, for this game, I'm trying to pull my, my numbers up here defensively for this game. I think it, uh, I think it is very similar to the kind of game that you went into against say Miami, where you knew Miami was going to try to run the football and do all of that, but they don't have, as much in the passing game to be afraid of. So I think it's going to resemble that game a lot defensively, maybe with a few, a a couple big play, a couple more big plays given up. I think this is a game where you probably have to score over 35 to win it. And I think they will ultimately score over 35 with, uh, with, with Drake may, but I think this is a, this is going to be a close game. I, I, I think this is one that's going to go into the fourth quarter I still don't trust Carolina's defense enough to really pull to really uh, pick them to to dominate this game against a team that that run that has run it as well as as Pitt has. So ultimately, I'm going to go with uh, North Carolina winning this game, 38 to 34. Greg Barnes, what you got? And, and Pitt's got a receiver that's pretty good. They got Bartholomew, the tight end, that's pretty good. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I mean, Montfield's pretty good. I think he's been banged up a little bit. Um, but the transfer, I think he's he's pretty solid. But not having Jordan Addison. Um, that changes really, everything for them. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Not I having mean, a security blanket. Isn't that crazy that guy could be on this team? I mean, it's funny how Slovis could be throwing to him at Southern <laughs> Cal if he didn't. No, he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> really transfer portal, man. Yeah. I, I think they'd be undefeated if they had, if they had Addison right now. He's that, yeah. He's that good. I think he's that much of a he's, difference maker like for them. I think he'd have made yeah. Slovis look that much better. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have anything to argue with with what Jason said. Uh, I think the one stat that kind of worries me a little bit is that North Carolina ranks 126th nationally uh, in success rate against the run. Um, that's a problem, and it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago of. Gene has, has shown a willingness outside of really the Miami and Virginia Tech games of just letting guys kind of have some, some running room the first five yards, and then he wants to kind of lock everything down. Um, I think that's the big concern here because I, I think Pitt would like nothing more than just to dominate with their run game. And it's not just a Bonaconda. I know we, we've talked a lot about him. Uh, but his backup, who they think is just a great back as well, Rodney Hammond, um, he had a lot of success earlier in the year. He's, he's 5'9", 200, so he's a big, powerful guy as well. Um, having said that, uh, and I, I don't have a lot of faith in, in this defense for a lot of different reasons, I do have faith in Drake May. And I just think he, he is enough of a game changer that he's going to be able to hit on some of these uh, pass plays that frustrates Pitt. I think the defense will be effective enough, probably get a turnover or two, and I think that'll be enough. Um, I could see this being a very high-scoring game. Uh, I just think Pitt's going to try to kind of uh, sit on the ball a little bit and, and not have as many possessions. 
And because of that, uh, I've got it at 35-31 North Carolina. I think Carolina gets over the hill. Uh, I think this paves the path for, for the ACC title game. Um, and, and look, it's to be at this position, uh, you got to tip your cap to, to Mac Brown and especially Phil Longo, what Phil Longo has been able to do this year, kind of with an albatross uh, around his ankles uh, with the defense has been phenomenal. Yes, the coastal's down, but somebody's got to take advantage of it. And, and Carolina's in position to really clamp it down. And, and there's been so many years, so many years, where we get to October and Carolina's out of the ACC race. And now we're talking about there's potential for North Carolina to have it wrapped up before the end of October. Uh, so I think this is a great opportunity, and I think Carolina takes advantage. Jason, you got one more stat before we get out of here. I think Carolina's going to win. I think that it's going to be – if I had hair, it would probably get pulled out. Um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be one of those type games. I think there will be a turnover big. What I, what I do not want to see is what Greg mentioned. Pitt gets the lead and just – sits on it and Slovis doesn't have to do anything. I think that's the key here is make Slovis do something and I'm turning and handing the ball off is not the something I'm talking about. Jason, what you got? So the one real hope, if you're, if you're trying to evaluate this game is like, okay, does Carolina really have a chance to to actually shut them down here? Last year, Carolina gave up 4.64 yards per, per carry in the running game. And this year, they're giving up 4.72. But last year, against Pitt, very similar roster Pitt, with Jordan Addison, mind you, and Kenny Pickett on that roster, Pitt had 31 carries for 95 yards last year against North Carolina for a healthy 3.06 yards per carry. So this roster of Carolina defenders has actually had success against largely this roster of Pitt uh, in terms of pit offense. So, you know, if you want to take something in terms of hope that they may be able to come out and, and actually limit that running game, they, they had some success doing that last year. Mind you, a different offense, different offensive coordinator and all of that. But that, that suggests that, you know, they, if they really focus on it and buckle down and, and, and play sound, that they, they actually could do it. I still don't believe in him enough to, to to pick him to do it in this game, but that means it's not impossible. Not impossible. Uh, the game plan podcast, always possible with Greg Barnes and Jason Staples bringing the heat. We're sponsored by Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Shout out to the two hundred plus. A uh, lot of lot of faithfuls in there. Got to get a lot of new people in here. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel if you're watching this. And, and click on that, uh, that subscribe button, like, review, all that stuff on the podcast channel as well. We'll be back day after podcast. Good gracious. 8 o'clock game in Chapel Hill, 8 a.m. day after. I don't know why I agreed to those with Buck Sanders and Jason Staples, uh, but we'll be doing it. <laughs> Greg Barnes and I will be back next week with Next Level. Got on the beat. Got a ton of stuff. Taylor Vipless tomorrow with one of his podcasts. Guys, it's been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk football. It's always good to be watching another game on the TV when you're talking football. Um, looks like Grant Wells for Heisman's gaining steam, boys. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to Next Level. Inside Carolina's YouTube show, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Special guest today. When we started doing this show, we, we told you every once in a while we'd have special guests joining us, and we've done that with Jerry DePaula. Jerry covers Pitt Panthers. Jerry, what's going on? Good afternoon, guys. How you doing? Big game Saturday night. Homecoming, I understand, right? It yes. is, and it is certainly a huge game, especially for the ACC Coastal Division. Wanted to get you on here to sort of get the, the Pittsburgh angle. Uh, we talk about North Carolina all the time, and we look at Pittsburgh from afar. This has become somewhat of a rivalry, um, given the nature of the ACC. Carolina, of course, the last two trips in 19 and 21 went up there and lost in overtime. I believe it was last year that it ended up being a monsoon in overtime. It was raining in overtime, right. <laughs> and, and so uh, – Certainly two close games. Carolina, of course, got the better of Pitt during the Larry Fedora era. Let me let me ask you straight out. Pitt's four and three, and they've struggled. They struggled last week against Louisville in a loss. What's the angle there? I mean, this is certainly, <laughs> I don't think, the expectations that you guys expected when you were talking about Pitt in the preseason. Well, I wasn't sure how this team was going to was going to turn out. Actually, you know, when you lose Kenny Pickett, you know, first round draft pick quarterback, and you lose Jordan Addison, the Blitnikoff winner to, to USC to the transfer portal, and you also lost a starting linebacker, Cam Bright, uh, who, who played very well last year and ended up going to Washington, University of Washington. Uh, you had to expect some regression. You know, you didn't expect to lose to Georgia Tech, you know, obviously. But Louisville is a good team. Uh, you know, Cunningham's one of the best quarterbacks in, in the ACC. Um, if Pitt would have been five and two at this point instead of four and three, I wouldn't have been surprised at all. Uh, four and three surprised me a little bit because they should have beaten Georgia Tech. They've been underachieving, you know, a lot. I don't know what the reason is. Uh, Keaton Slovis, the quarterback to transfer from USC, just hasn't, you know, played well enough consistently uh, to lead the team to victories in those games. Those two games they lost, he only played half of the Tennessee game. And that's the in- in- interesting thing about it. Uh, Tennessee's number three team in the country, they beat Alabama. Pitt took him into overtime with their backup quarterback because Slovis got hurt at halftime in the last play of the first half. I didn't play the second half, and their backup quarterback, Nick Patty, who was playing on a bum ankle for the entire fourth quarter, you know, brought him back into that game, tied it up late in the game, and Pitt ended up losing in overtime. So they've ha- they have the uh, talent 
uh, to beat most teams in the ACC, maybe all every team in the ACC. But things have held them back. Like I said, Slovis has made some really poor decisions. In that Louisville game, he threw two interceptions. And one interception, he had, he had a fullback wide open in the flat. It would have been an e- easy first time into the red zone. And he just didn't see it. And he's missed other receivers, too, in games in previous games. Um, uh, you know, he 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 plays a lot of experience, which is really surprising that he hasn't played a lot of a little bit better. Uh, but um, and, and of course, the injuries have, have, have come up, too. And you have to understand uh, they had five starting offensive linemen marching together in December last year and tell us all oh, they were coming back. They were going. We're not going to the NFL. We're thinking about the 2022 season. And we're all going to come back together. Now, because of injuries, those guys have not played all have not played all five of them together for one snap the entire season. Uh, Carter Warren, the left tackle, was out for the year. Gabe Hoy, the right tackle, missed the first three games, missed all of training camp with an injury. Uh, and, and Owen Drexel, the starting center, uh, has missed the last five games, I believe. So they've had to shuffle things along around in the offensive line, use some backups, uh, and it hasn't worked out very well. It's from the running game, it's worked out fine. I mean, Izzy Abanacanda leads the ACC in rushing. He'll probably go over 1,000 yards on Saturday. Uh, if, if he gets, I think he needs maybe 40-some yards to go over 1,000. Um, but the passing game just hasn't been there, and I, I put a lot of that, you know, I hate to say it, on, on, on the fact that they lost a, a great quarterback and they lost a great wide receiver. And when you do that, you can't expect to uh, go 11-3 and three again. Jerry, uh, Pat Narduzzi's uh, very good at providing uh, – humorous quotes, if you will, in the offseason, give us something to, to talk about. Well, and one thing after the end of last year, when Kenny left and then Mark Whipple left, he, he really harped on the fact that he wanted to get back to a, an offense that relied on the run. Uh, right. He brought in, of course, Frank Signetti. And as you said, the, the running game has been pretty stout behind Izzy. Do you think there's any uh, maybe a lack of meshing between Keaton Slovis and what Signetti wants to do that's causing some of these – problems in the passing game? Geez, I don't think so. I, I think Keaton Slovis was just happy to find a, a good place to settle down and, and rebuild his career. Uh, we talked to Frank Signetti today. And I got to tell you, Frank is one of the nicest guys, and one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to. I can't believe and he's had a lot of experience. I mean, he, he was with the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, with the Giants, with Eli Manning. Uh, you know, here's a guy that, you know, has been around the block several times. And if Keaton Slovis is not getting along with him, I'm sure that he is, um, then something's wrong. But uh, like I said, the problem has been that Keaton has made some bad decisions. And, uh, you know, the meshing part was one thing, but actually getting used to to a different offense is another thing. You know, he's playing in a different offense than he played in, in USC. And um, maybe that's part of it. And I, I still think the, the injuries are part of it. And the wide receivers, you know, to me, it's my way of thinking, have been inconsistent. Uh, they had two transfers, uh, Kanata Mumfield from Akron and, and Bub Means from Louisiana Tech. And, and both of those guys have been just kind of okay, nothing special. And, and Bub Means didn't even play against Louisville. He, he got hurt in warm-ups, didn't play. And Jaden Bradley, uh, you know, a, a promising sophomore wide receiver who caught two touchdown passes against Georgia Tech, decided to transfer, and he's gone. Uh, you know, so they were down to, I think, four wide receivers who actually had uh, a couple of catches this season. Uh, in the Louisville game, and two of them had maybe three to- three total uh, between them. So uh, it, that, that's been a problem, too. The, the injuries have something – we probably can't ignore it, it's, but uh, good teams can overcome that, and Pitt has not been able to overcome those injuries. 
Yeah, we, we have a little bit of familiarity with Frank Signetti. He was offensive coordinator in, in Chapel Hill for one season, uh, Butch, the year before Butch Davis arrived. And he, he worked for John Bunning in 2006. Uh, but as he has been around the block, it's amazing the, the number of sp- stops that he's had. Uh, given all the, the issues that Pitt has had offensively, is there a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel coming to Chapel Hill knowing that <laughs> Carolina has struggled the way that they have on the defensive end? Well, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Pitt, I don't, I don't know, in, in their in their darkest, deepest secrets when they sit around and talk among, amongst themselves, they'll see all the points and yards that North Carolina has given up and say, hey, we can move the ball on this team, you know. Uh, but they shouldn't be thinking that way because they couldn't move the ball against Louisville very well and they couldn't move, move on – Move the ball against Georgia Tech very well. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not scoring a lot of points. They're like the Steelers. You know, the Steelers can't score points, and Pitt, Pitt football can't score points. It's, it's amazing how it's happening for both both teams. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is the kind of game that I, I go into it thinking, I think North Carolina is, what, a four-point favorite? Uh, it, it sounds kind of light to me. I would, I would think they'd be a bigger favorite than that. But uh, this could be the kind of game that all of a sudden Pitt finds itself and, and they start playing well. On the road, though, is going to be difficult to do. It's homecoming. It's got. It's another night game. Uh, and in side side note, Pat Narduzzi hates night games, especially on the road. He doesn't get home. He doesn't get pulled into a driveway. He said until like three thirty in the morning. Uh, that happened. They had a night game at Western Michigan earlier in the season. Uh, and a night game last week at Louisville. Another night game coming up here. Uh, you know, it's one thing playing at night, which is very nice. And they they opened the season and as a home night game against West Virginia. But uh, you, know, you, you, you guys are, are sleep deprived when they uh, roll back into the facility on on Sunday morning. Some of them, um, in fact, Narduzzi even said uh, he said he can't go to mass Sunday morning because he has to get to work right away. And he only gets the, he only gets a couple hours sleep. So, and he also likes to come home after after games after day games. And he has a bocce court in his backyard. And he said he likes to come home and play bocce in his backyard. Well, if there's an afternoon game and he, he can find the time, but uh, since the ACC has seen fit to schedule him with all these road night games, you can't do that, the poor guy. <laughs> we, sound, we sound like the old guys yelling at clouds here. <laughs> right. <laughs> you mentioned Izzy and, and Abani Kanda, and, you know, uh, Narduzzi likes to run the football, likes the old school power football. Tell us a little bit about this guy. I mean, we obviously saw what he did against Virginia Tech, but he struggled or didn't get a lot of yards against in the games they lost. Um, what differences does he make for this pit? Uh, I mean, he's got to make the game easy for Slovis, right? If he's you, you would think you, you would think because they 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 load up the defenses load up the box with the seven or eight guys in the box, and you think you got some one on one shots on the outside when that happens, but. Uh, Slovis has not been able to take advantage of it. Now, Izzy, you know, sort of, you know, broke on the scene. I'll never forget. It was three days before the COVID outbreak in March in in the springtime, spring practice. We were watching practice one day and uh, he broke off a run in in practice. Obviously, he was in an indoor facility in practice and no pads, but he just ran away from everybody. It was like a 70 or 80 yard run in the indoor facility. It was amazing to see him run away from guys from defensive backs, not just big lumbering linebackers, but guys who are supposedly are, are, are fast runners. And that was, uh, like I said, three days before COVID, then COVID hit, and uh, everything changed that year. Uh, and, and last year, uh, you know, Izzy played okay, uh, but they were throwing the ball last year because they had Kenny Pickett. You, know, you, you can't, you know, blame Mark Whipple for wanting to throw the ball when he has uh, uh, when he has Pickett throwing the ball to Jordan Addison. 
And uh, that was that was their offense, you know, for, for a good part of the season, for all of the season, actually. Um, but this year they needed to go to the run game because they lost all the elements of the big elements of their passing game. And, uh, and Izzy has taken advantage of it. And the thing about Izzy is, you know, he gets a little seam. You know, he can break through. He's, he's tough enough to break through a seam, you know, at, at the line of scrimmage or two yards past the line of scrimmage. And then he's fast enough to run away from guys. He's had a couple runs of 75, 65, 65, 75 yards this season where it looks like the defensive back has, has an angle on him. He just runs away from them. Uh, you know, he has a great mix, I think, of power and speed. Uh, and he looks like an NFL running back. He really does. He's broad shoulders, big arms. Um, and, and that speed is, is in fact, he was telling, we were talking to him today and he was telling us he thinks he's the fastest guy on the team. You know, for a guy who's well over 200 pounds, that's really saying something, you know, so, and he probably is the way he, he in that Tennessee game, he did it and he did it in one other game where he just ran away from people. Uh, so is he a great running back in, in the, in the manner of a lot of great running backs in, in years past, uh, I'm talking about James Conner. Uh, I'm talking about Tony Dorsett. He broke Tony Dorsett's record, uh, single-game rushing record in the Virginia Tech game of 320 yards. Unbelievable. A guy can run for 320 yards in one game uh, against a Power 5 team, too. And Virginia, Virginia Tech is one of the lower-tier teams in the ACC, but nonetheless, uh, he, he had a great game that day, and uh, he's had a couple great games. He didn't play that well against West Virginia, actually. And it was, it was strange because Rodney Hammond, the backup, came in and played really well against West Virginia and helped to win that game uh, and helped them win a lot of games last year too. But then Rodney got hurt in that game and he didn't play. He missed, missed the next five games, I think. And he, he played a little bit. Uh, he played a little bit Saturday night at Louisville. In fact, running the Wildcat. So now they have some, they have a backup or a backup running back with, with Izzy and with, with Hammond. They have two guys that they trust running the football. Uh, and uh, though Hammond had a big fumble in that Louisville game, it really hurt them. Um, so, they, they have the depth at running back and just have to be able to put it all together and uh, complement it with a good passing attack. Tommy, there's another North Carolina tie for you talking about the running backs. Uh, Andre Powell is, is coaching the running backs for, for good man. Good man. He One of my favorites. Yep, yeah. Great guy. Uh, Jerry, you mentioned the, the offensive line coming into the off season to make this big declaration about coming back. Right. One of the reasons I picked Pitt to win the coastal in the off season was not only because the offensive line, but because of that defensive line, there's a lot of NFL talent. Uh, it looks like on that front with Baldonado. I mean, Danielson's good. Cansey, of course, uh, Alexander Morgan. Uh, how, how difficult has it been for the defense to kind of reach its potential when the offense has been so hit or miss? Well, the, the, the offense puts them in bad positions. I mean, the offense has too many three and outs. Uh, they, they put them back on the field, too many turnovers. Uh, you know, even if even if they, the defense goes back onto the field and forces a punt after a turnover, uh, they're still out there longer than they need to be. You know, you, what, what they want to do with this running running attack is hold the ball for 35, 37 minutes a game. That it, it, it puts less pressure on the defense and the defense. You know, the defense has been pretty good this year. Nothing great, um, but pretty good. Now, the pass rush, I think they have 25 sacks or something like that which isn't bad. They, they had over 50 last year. So they're a little bit underneath under that pace, but still Kansas having a great year. Uh, how about Baldonado to me is an NFL defensive end had some injury problems this year, but he's back healthy. Now Deslin Alexander, the other end had had some injury problems. He's back healthy. Now and you have a lot of depth there too, with you know, Charlie Partridge, their uh, uh, defensive line coach, you know, is one of the best in the, in the country at, at coaching the defensive linemen. 
And uh, he has a lot of guys that, that make a big, make a difference, make a big difference, uh, you know, in, in, the, in these games. Um, again, the defense hasn't been bad. Uh, it's just that the offense hasn't been able to uh, uh, complement them. And, you know, I talked to Eric Callett today, the, the free safety, who's a semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. And I was saying to him, you know, today in college, college football, teams score 30, 40 points a game routinely. And you held uh, Louisville to 17. It was 24 after the fumble recovery. And Georgia Tech only had scored less than 32. And they still lost those games. And he says, well, if we had shut them out, we would have won those games. So that's the kind of thing, they're, the way they're thinking. You know, they're thinking that, you know, we should, uh, you know, pitch a shutout uh, if we, we want to win these games and, you know, put it on us. Uh, you know, the offense will eventually come come around, they hope. And um, But so far it hasn't. And uh, right now there's a point in their return. If they uh, they can't beat North Carolina, their hopes of uh, playing for the championship again are done. You mentioned that defense there, and, and we always think about Pitt being tough against the run, physical against the run, but uh, Carolina specifically in years past has been able to take advantage of Pitt deep. And now Carolina <laughs> goes from Sam Howell to Drake May, and Drake May, of course, uh, I mean, he's played great you know, mostly the season, um, if not all the season. What, what do you think Pitt's approach to that? I mean, Narduzzi's going to do what he does. But do you see anything special that, that Pitt could do against Drake May and these Carolinas, Carolina receivers? And then you've got linebackers there that are, are, are making declarative statements about what they <laughs> intend to do. Um, Tyler Wilkes, article right. early. <laughs> Just tell our listeners and watchers um, what you heard today talking to the players and this week talking to the players, and then what do you think there will be a pro- their approach to Drake May will be? Well, Tyler Wilts is actually a backup linebacker who's been playing very well. He's number four on the team in, in, in total tackles. Uh, he is a transfer from uh, Missouri State, so he's never played Power 5 football before this season. He's a graduate senior, and uh, he's the kind of guy with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. Uh, and he's not really – I wouldn't call him a trash talker. He was just sort of talking about how they need to get back to uh, being physical and being dominant, and uh, what he said was, he said, uh, we're talking about North Carolina. He says, we're athletic just like them. We work hard just like them. We're going to hit May hard just like we hit Malik, meaning the Cunningham of Louisville. And if he doesn't get up, that's not our problem, <laughs> which I thought was a little, a little harsh. But, uh, you know, I don't think he made anything you know, personal by it. He doesn't want to hurt the kid. Uh, but he wants to let the kid know that, uh, hey, we're here and we're here to play a, a hard-nosed game and, uh, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, the linebacker situation has been kind of kind of slow moving for Pitt so far this year, uh, in the fact that they lost uh, you know some good players off off the linebacker unit. You know, I don't, you know, I talked about Cam Bright transferring to Washington. Uh, John Patricia was a good linebacker last year. He exhausted his eligibility. Phil Campbell on the other side, you know, exhausted his eligibility. And Savasia Dennis is back as uh, is, is the middle linebacker, the guy who sort of runs the show. But he, he's a better. I think he's a better outside linebacker. And they they went and went out and got Shane Simon, a transfer from Notre Dame, who's played very well on the outside. And uh, Bengali Kamar is the other outside linebacker. And he's had you know he's very athletic, very big, you know, big, big lanky, you know, solid linebacker. But he he makes some missteps every once in a while, gets him in trouble. So linebacker situation. And Wilts has come by, come out and, and played fairly well. You know, as a backup, like I said. Only three other players on the team have more tackles than he does. And uh, he said he has the energy, and he sort of promised that there will be a victory uh, Saturday night, so we'll see. 
Yeah, well, Jerry, before we let you go, I, I, I've got to ask you about Pat Narduzzi because North Carolina fans, as you know, have Mac Brown as head coach. Mac is the great grandpa. He's he's incredibly <laughs> nice and knows everybody's name. It's just a great person to talk to either in front of the camera or behind it. Carolina fans then see Pat Narduzzi <laughs> up in Pittsburgh, uh, likes to complain about calls. It's kind of chippy in his press conferences. What what is the uh, Pitt fan base's opinion of Pat? Do they like him? Is he <laughs> he won the ACC title last year, so I assume they like him a little bit. But kind of what is the what is the feeling about Pat and the job he's done thus far at Pittsburgh? Well, I, I think they believe that he's underachieving this year, and I, I think they believe that he's underachieved a little bit uh, in his previous years at Pitt. Now, when he came to Pitt. Uh, the first couple of years, you know, Pitt was a six and seven, seven and six team. First two years, they won eight games, you know, which was the most they've won in, in several years. Uh, he had a bad year in 2017. Then all of a sudden he gets a contract extension. Uh, then, you know, things get, get a little better. COVID gets in his way uh, in 2020. And then in 21, Kenny Pickett decides to um, turn his nose up at the NFL and come back and play. And all of a sudden Pitt is a championship team. Uh, clearly, uh, I think that the best team in the ACC last year, they beat Clemson at home. Uh, they, they handled Wake Forest in a championship game. Uh, and, and Pickett was a big reason for that. You know, and I give, I give Narduzzi credit. You know, I remember a lot of people were talking after the 2020 season, oh, Kenny Pickett should, should uh, transfer and go to another school and where he can really, you know, showcase his talent for the NFL. Well, he didn't. He decided to come back. And I think one of the reasons he did decide to come back was because of Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, who has a great relationship with. And because of Pat Narduzzi and the culture Pat has built at, at Pitt, you know, they, they, you know, one thing people don't know about about Narduzzi is that uh, he is like uh, three wins away from being the second most winningest coach in Pitt history. Uh, Jock Sutherland is, is number one, and or maybe Pop Warner is number one, and Jock Sutherland is number two. That's going back into the twenties. Okay, uh, so he wins three more games. I think he'll pass. He'll become the second most winningest coach in pit history, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Uh, he, he has, he's brought stability to a program that had zero when he got here. Now, I've been covering this team since 2011. Uh, in the, the first year I covered him, Todd Graham was coached for like five minutes. Then he decided to leave to go to Arizona State. And Paul Chris stayed for three years. Uh, and, and then Pat's you know, been here eight years. He's the longest tenured uh, pit coach in like 60 years. Uh, and so I give him credit for that and sticking by, stick by the program. They've given him two contract extensions. He signed here through 2030. So the fans better get used to him because he's not going anywhere, you know, and, and, and I, I think he's a good recruiter. He is a good coach as far as, uh, you know, building the program. I, I questioned some of his game day moves. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story at, at the end of the first half of the Tennessee game, Pitt was down by a few points and it was 21 seconds ago and Pitt's on its own 37 yard line. And instead of taking a knee and going into the locker room, he has Slovis go back to pass, uh, and, and he gets sacked. He fumbles. Tennessee recovers, kicks a field goal. And, and on top of that, Slovis, that's where he suffered his concussion and missed the next game, missed the second half in, in the game after that. So on, on the Monday after the game, I, I said to Pat, did you think about maybe uh, just taking a knee there, you know, saving yourself for the second half and, uh, you know, not try, trying to pass, get more points? And he said, Jerry, I'm a dumbass. That was his, that was his quote, you know, um, somebody said I should have put that made that my ringtone on my phone, you know, uh, but, uh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I have a lot of, I respect for Pat. I like Pat, but I tell you what, uh, uh, he leads the league in, in eye rolls every time somebody asks him about injuries, you know, 
And uh, I'm notorious for asking about guys injured. And he just sort of rolls his eyes at me and says, Jerry, you know better than that. You know, so doesn't like to talk about injuries. Like any coach, I'm sure Mac Brown is the same way. Yeah, they all they all are, are very similar in a lot of ways. It, it is funny the the perception from different fan bases of different guys. Greg, you got anything left before we let Jerry out of here? I do not. Thank you for joining us, Jerry. Are you coming down this weekend? No, I'm for, unfortunately I'm not. We don't do as much travel uh, yep. in, in our paper anymore, but I'll be watching it on TV and uh, and following a story right after the game. Well, Jerry, we appreciate you joining us. That's Jerry DePaula from the Trib up there. It covers everything Pittsburgh, but especially the Pittsburgh Panthers and the Pitt football team. Jerry, appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the game. Yes, sir. Be safe. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.